1: The, mo- the best-looking syndicator in the business, Anthony,
2: how are you doing, sir? That is objectively true, by the way. Um, I have studied, I have, I have audited, um, I, did, I polled my mom, my girlfriend, and they all confirm best-looking syndicator in the game. Now, that. <laughs> that is some cherry-picked data points. But I'll take it. (laughs) I'm good, man. How you been?
1: (laughs) I've been good, man. I've been good. You know, it's funny. I thought that we would talk about what you and I happened to talk about when I saw you recently in Minnesota. And you were talking about how you and your partner were about to take profits out of the business for the first time, you know, in in about three years. And one of those things that entrepreneurship, right, you know, it's one of those things when you start a business, you know, and the way I want to, I want to track this combo with you is I'm not so much worried about you paying your bills or anything as an entrepreneur. I'm worried about your mental state by not seeing money hit, it always going out the other way and not coming in and how that can affect you and the decisions that you're making.
2: One, it's sucks. I'll tell you that. Um, (laughs) There's a part that people don't talk about a lot about building a business is it can take a really long time to generate any kind of meaningful income because if you're Doing it, generating a profit, but you're you're in scaling mode. When scaling mode is in growth mode, right? Like scaling is when you're trying to hit like this inflection point. You're trying to get to that point of efficiency and scale where everything, um, you know, now one plus one now equals ten. And that's different than once you have an established business and it's working well. Now you're just trying to grow it year over year. Like in the early days, when you're scaling, you you, you don't have a lot left over for yourself. You know, you're pouring it back into the company into systems and processes, infrastructure, people, and people that like because it's all about gaining leverage in the beginning. That's the part that's hard. You have no leverage. Even if you've done this before, um when you have a brand new project, you have to go out there and build the crowbar from scratch. And so it's just it's interesting. Um, because you know, over the last three years for us, we've we've been pretty successful in terms of like building this thing, but Most people are surprised to hear when I tell them like, yeah, we've acquired $70 million of real estate in the last three years. And Dan and I haven't taken a dime out of the company. You're like, Oh yeah. Well, I want to, I want to get out of my W2 this year. And it's like, okay, well that's probably not going to happen. Just so you know, like,
1: (laughs) well, I think it's one of those things that I love talking about, which is I think too many people are investing in the real estate to get out of something. Instead of like enhancing something that they already have. And and I, I say that to you because I, I you know I know your story very well. You know, you had had some properties you bought beforehand, you had other businesses. So there was a little runway for you. And I think if you were to, if you there, were to step back and, and look at your process, you would say, you know, I'm not saying that you thought it was, you know, three years you weren't going to take, but I think you knew going into it that you were going to let the business breathe and operate the way it wants. And I think a lot of people get tripped up when they feel the need to take really quickly and then you have a bad month or a bad two months and then now you're not just behind you're behind double time and then and then you you kind of get yourself in a in a in a vice
2: 100% and and for full transparency i mean i was on the same trajectory on my last business when we built that one i started we started that um I joined that in 2016 or 17 and we had, my partner had started it much earlier than that and they were doing around $350,000 a year in like revenue. And that was okay for just, you know, a couple of employees, but you really wanted to scale it. And so what we did is we came in there and said, okay, we're going to pay ourselves the bare minimum so that we can just survive. And over the next three years, we scaled it from 300,000, 400,000 of revenue up to about 4 million. And in that period of time, we really weren't taking meaningful amounts of money out of the company. it we was just being poured straight back into it. And so at that point, that business worked because we were willing to live like below our means and take paltry uh, income. When I made the jump into scaling Invictus and building this into its own company, you know, I had previous real estate had other income streams and I had a good amount of savings. Right. And so making that jump and saying, okay, for the next three years, I don't need any income. You know, I had the luxury of saying that, but most people don't. And most people think that they're going to leave their W-2 and replace the income immediately with real estate. And my thesis has always been real estate is the best get rich slowly, but surely plan out there. And it's not a quick thing. So if you want to make a lot of money, like um, build a business that can, you know, start kicking off revenue and that you can start, that has really high margins and, you know, this could be a service-based business. This could be an e-commerce business. This could be all sorts of businesses. That's what you make your money with. And then you pour it into the real estate because the real estate itself does not generate tons of cash really quickly unless you're doing mm. something very transactional like wholesaling or being a broker. And that can be great, but that's transactional, right? That's that's not building wealth. That's just building income.
1: There's There's no chance that if I didn't have my coaching business, I wouldn't be able to survive. Because you know most of these businesses that we have, have you know they're generating money, but there's money that needs to be spent in other places. And as much as I am trading time for money as a coach, it is my time, and there's nobody else that's going to. And it is high. For if you look at dollar per you know cost, there is a nice structure in that base, and so I've kind of found a job that can give me the breath I need. To, to kind of you know work which which I've kind of come to the realization I think there's three different types of money created there's you know money you need to live there's long term investing and then there's wealth building and we've kind of structured our business where we're going to take 30% out to live on 40% is going to be reinvested 10% is going to be for taxes and then 10% is going to be for employees and charity and you know that might not feel great for 10 years but you're going to turn around and, and that money is going to be reinvested five, six, seven times. And that's going to compound on itself. And, you know, one of the things that I think is super interesting, um, is, uh, one of the things as I've been studying and talking to bigger investors and bigger business people and lawyers, you actually become an issue when you have a lot of money, like where to put it all. Like that's something that nobody talks about. I know it sounds like ridiculous to talk about, but like, you know, you're losing money in the bank account or you're losing money from taxes or, you're, you know, like these are the things that you, when, you start, when you get farther along, you're studying. And, and and I know it sounds asinine to say, but it's actually pretty funny that like you like when people sell their company and they're like, uh, I read a great book called Business Dilemma. And he said 80 percent of climbers die in the descent. And it's like, you know, entrepreneurship, you've sold your company, but you don't have anywhere to go after that or you haven't planned a thing behind that. And when you don't have a challenge, when you don't have the next thing, you know, you kind of spend a couple of years in uh, no man's land.
2: Yeah. I think asset protection and um, like fund allocation, these are like legitimately hard things uh, to figure out, especially if, if the majority of your life, you've been spent in like trying to make money, right? Like we're, that's, that's its own skill, make money. The other skill is keep your money and how do you keep it safe? How do you keep it growing? And that's why, you know, really wealthy people have like family funds and and fund managers, people that they can trust to to run it for them because it becomes this, like I have a friend, a really close personal friend who's a billionaire. Um, His whole family is like all billionaires are doing, it's, it's ridiculous. And he's like, all I do, he's like, my full-time job is just managing my funds at this point. Like that's all he does. And it's like, well, that kind of sucks. But like, that's not the life I personally want, but you can see how like, it more, and what do they say? More money, more problems. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's that thing. But to the, to your point before about like, without your coaching, you, know, you wouldn't be able to sustain these other business endeavors. A lot of the people that I work with, and this weekend I was speaking at a Jake and Gino event down in Kansas city. And afterwards a guy came up to me and he's like, okay, so I understand that you haven't taken money in you know a couple of years and everything like that. But how do I do that? I have four kids, a family and blah, 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 and all this. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to stay at your W-2. You need to cut your your expenses, figure out how to live way below your means, and you need to save and just keep, take every dime that you can afford and roll it forward. And you're not going to be able to grow as quickly as somebody like me who could afford to like go move in with my best friend's mom and spend $400 a month on, like all in on my expenses and then build businesses and pour everything back into them. Right and so you have to figure out like what what are you willing to sacrifice cuz everything has a price. I just got done tweeting this. Everything in life has a price and action tends to be the most expensive. And so figure out what you're willing to sacrifice, what you're willing to give up in exchange for the thing that you want but and then do it. Don't just say that you're going to do it. You actually have to follow through and do that thing because the best time to invest in real estate was like 10 years ago, right? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. It's like the, the old adage, when's the best time to plant a tree? uh, like 20 years ago, When's the next best time today. Right. And that's real estate. Real estate is like, everybody wishes they had gotten into it sooner. So if you're sitting there on the, on the sidelines right now, like thinking is now the time to do it or with the top of the market, should I wait and time it? No, like real estate is not about, um, what do they say? You don't, you don't wait to invest in real estate. You invest in real estate and then wait. And it's the same with building. I know your, Mm -hmm. your audience isn't necessarily just about real estate. But it, this, this is the same with entrepreneurship in general, like any any endeavor that you're going to do, the time to do it is now.
1: So I have a, a mission that just came to me and I'm bearing my soul to you, Anthony, uh, and I apologize profusely. Okay. And I'm going to tell you why. We are buying a building in Destin. It's the best location I've ever seen in my entire life. I'm going to walk you through the numbers. This oh, guy imagine-
2: this weekend, there's a lady wearing a Destin shirt with a fish on it. And I was like, Is "That Florida, because I saw your post. and I, That's the only way I knew where that.
1: <laughs> so long story short, he buys it's an amazing location right on the boardwalk. He buys the building in 2004 for 8.5. Okay. Uh, 2004. And we're buying it for five, seven. I don't even know how that happens. No comment. I digress. But long story short. The NOI is somewhere around 280 to 320, okay? He's, he's losing money every month. We are gonna Airbnb the top, turn it into a hotel, redo the tenants downstairs and the commercial units. And I think our NOI is gonna be 1.6 million. So we're gonna go from 300 to six. So we're doing the quick math on a low cap number. The property is gonna be worth north of 17 million. Uh, and it's about three years. And what that really showed me and same thing for another hotel we're buying. Man, multifamily, you switch it around, you do a couple things, you you shift the numbers, you, you add, upgrade the properties. I mean, that is the true power of real estate uh, that you will never see in a single family property. And I'm, I'm forever uh, changed and I'll never go back. And it, I think that's probably what you see as well too. Finally,
2: find this all the light.
1: I did. It was like, it opened up and I was like, never again. Never
2: again. Yeah. It's, it's, it's interesting. Um, I think once people are into commercial real estate, because you can do the same thing in industrial and retail, and the same concept applies where things are based off, the, the value is based off the NOI. Once you get turned on to the fact of, oh, we can go in here and do things to improve this and get some huge multiplicative effects on the cap rate when we go to sell or refinance, it's like that's where really large um, sums of money are generated. And so
1: when you're, uh, you know, $70 million worth of real estate in the last three years, um, let's go back to Anthony before he started this company. Okay. What, I mean, there's two, there's two questions in, in here. What was easier than you thought and what was harder than you thought as you sit here today?
2: Oh man, that's a good question. So (laughs) Here's a funny one. Um, What has been easier has been capital raising. What has been harder is capital raising. (laughs) 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 And I know that like, that's like a weird answer, but let me unpack this for a second. (laughs) So in the beginning, capital raising was so hard. It sucked. It was uncomfortable. You, in the beginning, you don't have really any contacts any relationships with, investors, people that are interested in real estate. And so all you have are your first ring relationships, your family, your friends, your colleagues. And generally those people, they might be tangentially interested in real estate, but they're not like out out there actively seeking real estate investment opportunities. So you're like coming out of the woods, like some crazy person being like, look multifamily, I have this thing. You should invest in it with me. And they're like, what are you doing? You crazy person. Um, especially if they already have like your identity in their mind tied to something else, right? Like for me, that was, I was building a manufacturing company. So people in my life were like, wait, I thought you were doing that thing. I'm like, well, I I do that thing, but I also now doing this thing. So that was really hard. Those conversations are awkward because you feel like a beggar asking everybody for money. It gets easier over time though, as you start to move from being a hunter to a farmer, And the hunter is all about, you know, you got to go out there and like find the prey and kill the prey, then like clean the prey and then eat the prey, all that. Whereas you got to plant these seeds and you don't get to eat for a long time. But once those seeds start to bloom and bear fruit, the amount that can come in is astronomical. So we started planting seeds many, many years ago when we started Cast Multifamily Investing Made Simple, when we wrote the book Passive Investing Made Simple, like all the content, all the relationships, all the speaking events that we do. Those are all planting seeds. And it came to it's come to a point now where we just, this year, we're in the process of raising about $15 million. We have, I think, about 12 of that all, all buttoned up, right? And, and, and that came off the back of, this, this is where capital raising is, is surprisingly easy, is now that we have that flywheel going, people know we've been farming for a long time. Now we're able to raise tens of millions of dollars with just an email. We just send out an email and within, you know, one week, we have $10 million sitting in the bank. And that's crazy to me. Um, so that's, that's all. And it's not just capital raising, but I think it's any part of the process that the actual operations of multifamily didn't take me by surprise because I'd been doing it for a long time on my own with my own assets. So that's neither easier nor harder. Um, I had that pretty correctly gauged, but the capital raising has been really astonishing both in how hard it is and how easy it is when you're hunting it's incredibly hard when you're farming it's incredibly easy get me going making that jump between being a hunter to a farmer though is like it feels like um, trying to jump over the Grand Canyon at times and
1: that's interesting that you say that because we just had a meeting last night with our, our money guys that are going to be partnering up with us and we've talked to these guys for six months they've never once cared about what we were investing in. They never once cared about what the deal looked like. Just until now, they said, look, we're not, we're not in real estate is real estate. Asset class is asset class. I'm trying to understand if you're the type of person that I want to entrust this money to. If you're the type of person I want to entrust my investors' money into. And if I feel that, then we're good. And when you, I wrote a post about this today these things that they don't talk about, these intangibles. Are you likable? Are you frictionless to do business with? Is your marketing deck complete and nice? You know what he said to us? He goes, you wouldn't believe how many $200 million ask we get and they don't even have a marketing deck. And I'm like, what? Excuse me? (laughs) And so it's these intangible things. Yeah, it's these intangible things. Are you likable? He said, you know, I'm in meetings all day and I hate the people I'm in meetings with, and then I see I have a meeting with you and I smile and I get excited. And I'm like, that's the stuff you want to hear from guys that can change your life really quickly by supplying you with money and stuff like that. And so it's these things that aren't in the book. It's these things that you're talking about. And I love your answer. It is hard and it was easy because you know once um, they asked me, they said, what do you want out of these deals that we're closing? And I said, only one thing. I don't care about the percentage. I don't care how much money I make. I only care about one thing that we are defined in this environment as people that put a property under contract and close because once we do that, then everything else is easier. When your, your reputation as these guys get the ball across the finish line.
2: It's interesting that we're on this topic because I, I've never really, considered us to be capital raisers in the traditional sense of like, you know, there's groups out there who all they do is raise capital and then they allocate it to operators. We're, we're a little bit unique in that we only raise capital for our own deals and then we go and operate those deals. And the reason this conversation is interesting is this weekend, again, at the Jake and Gino event that I was uh, speaking at, I was talking about how to build a capital raising machine. And so that was like an interesting topic for me to, to dive into because it's not something that I teach. It's not an educational thing, but coming out of that, I, I came up with this framework of what I call the four C's of capital raising. And you touched on one there. So the four C's for me are, you got to be clear, you got to, you got to be confident and you got to be credible. And anything that you do that takes away from one of those four things is going to potentially cost you the investment. So if you're, if you're not being clear, if you're not, if you're speaking over the prospect's head, which is like vast majority of people speak over the head of a of an, a potential investor. If you're not if you don't care about them and their investment goals, they're going to lose them because most of the time when you're coming, asking somebody for money, like they, they think you just see them as a dollar sign. So you got to like make them feel seen and heard and understood. Then you got to be confident because most people do not feel confident when it comes to investing. So they need to borrow your strength in the same way that your, your coaching clients borrow your confidence and your belief in them well before they ever have it in themselves. And then finally you got to be credible. And that's the part that you're talking about there. Like, if you're not professional, if you don't have your systems buttoned up, if you don't have a, a, an appearance of like these people know what they're doing, if you're not even doing the bare minimums, like I'm not a fan of like going out there and building your website, getting the business cards and everything like that before you even like started coming up with the business plan. But I think those things, they, by having them, they don't they don't help you. But if you don't have them, they certainly hurt you, right? Like if you show up to the meeting and you don't have the pitch deck, that hurts Dude, you. No, like this, having it's not necessarily it get you points
1: this guy's been listening to me on the podcast for two and a half years. He knows, he knows what I stand for, you know? And then when we met, and so these are the things that are not in the books, like that you're talking about your, your system, your, I love how you come up with frameworks. It's so important, right? Because a lot of people have been asking me like, Hey, when are you going to buy again? When are you going to do this? And I'm like, dude, when I'm ready. And then like, boom, we pop off and have 26 million in contract in like a hundred days. And it's like, there's more behind that. And it's like, now we have the right team, the teams, you know, the, the processes put together, the systems are there, the marketing's there, um, the the resources are there. Like this is not something that has happened in the last hundred days. Mm-hmm. This is something that's happened in the last 39 years.
2: Me, Every let me, step. Let me turn one of your questions back on you then real quickly, like, uh-huh. from, like rewinding to the beginning. What has been easier, and what has been harder than you anticipated?
1: The hardest thing to do is to. There's two things for me. The hardest thing to do is to keep my emotions in check because I get super excited. So, so attach, detaching myself from the outcome, which I have officially done, which is really nice for me. Uh, and then leading people, um, you know, becoming the leader that I needed to be, the right boss. I I don't envy my first couple employees uh I was all over the place, I was scattered, I didn't know how to lead. I'm a lot better than I did now. The easiest thing is to understand that you don't actually need money and you don't actually need all the things that you think. You just need to be somebody that is those four Cs that you're talking about and people will give you the opportunity to stand on your reputation. So getting in rooms that maybe I don't think I should be in is probably the thing that's been the easiest for me. Mm.
2: And and those are the rooms that you need to be in, right? Like I I tweeted about this the other day is like, if they say um, you are the average of the five people that you spend the most time with, then if you want to be better, you want to be a better person, hang out with better people, put yourself in the room with better people who are doing the thing that you aspire to be doing. And as a result, you're going to feel like an imposter, like you don't belong there. You're going to feel like at any moment they're going to find you out, but that's where growth happens. Right. And like, if you do not feel like an imposter, it means you've stopped stepping outside of your comfort zone. You've stopped growing, you stopped pushing, you've stopped stepping into rooms where you don't belong, right? And so the cure for imposter syndrome is to stop showing up and that cure is worse than the sickness. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, one of my favorite memes I've ever seen is the only reason why you have imposter syndrome is because you've already completed and gone past what you already thought was capable. So meaning that ultimately if you have, you know, and that, and that's, that's the biggest, you know, what the biggest lesson actually is all the people that you think haven't figured out are just as lost as you are, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, the people that are making three, 4 million a year, a hundred million, whatever, they're just as insecure. They have imposter syndrome the same. They just don't attach themselves to it. I tell you what's been interesting though. The last two times we got these contracts, um, in contract and the day of like we got, we won the deal. I had a dream the night before that we closed the deal. I said, I walked, I woke up today and I texted my partners. I said, we will get a text today that we won this deal. And they're like, dude, shut the fuck up. And we did every time. And what I can equate that to is, is, is very simple. I don't want to get into the semantics of this whole thing, you know, cause we could go off on a 90 minute tangent, but all I'm saying is, a lot of my hoping has turned to knowing. And it's very exciting when the knowing shows up, when you're just, you're not, you're not living and breathing with every client. You're not living and breathing with every property because the mission, the overall, whatever it is, is 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 consistency and just supporting people every day. And man, that is a buzzsaw that can't be messed with.
2: <laughs> so you're saying don't stick your hand in that buzzsaw.
1: <laughs> no, it'll hurt you.
2: yeah
1: Yeah. and so you know i love these uh it's funny because i just do them offhanded and i think they're funny but i do these like uh advice i would give to my 20 year old self and everybody loves them and it's like my favorite one is like consistency over everything people over profits uh you know laugh more than you think you should you know understand that the only way to buy a hundred million dollars worth of real estate is to buy a lot of it you know and and i i find that you know, Simple, a, yeah. And, and we as people, you know, to start back where we started, you know, we, we have a tendency in the old noggin to, to complicate everything. Yeah, we do.
2: Yeah. I, I find, um, it's really interesting. Um, a guy came up to me again this weekend and he was like, what would you, he was picking my brain about, like, he's starting out very beginning of his journey. He's like, what should I do? And I really laid it out there. I was like, here's the thing. It's like, you already know Uh, everything that you fundamentally need to know to be where I'm at. The only difference is I've been doing it. I've been applying that knowledge for years. So really it's not a question of like, what more do you need to do? Like what more do you need to acquire in terms of knowledge? And it's, you have the foundation, you have the basics. Now you just need to apply it. And if you do that for the same amount of time that I did it, then you'll be where I am, which isn't necessarily to say like, I'm, in anywhere particularly interesting or cool. like But if that's your goal, like you want to acquire a bunch of real estate, then you, you know everything you probably need to know. And I think a lot of times people just use like the, the desire to go and acquire more knowledge as the excuse to not take action because they don't think that they're ready yet. When in reality, the only thing that's going to get them to the top of the mountain isn't another better, bigger, more beautiful map. It's just starting to take the steps.
1: All right, here we go. We're gonna see if I can turn it to a spicy combo because oh. I have something I've had something I've been working on. You kind of alluded to it there, mm-hmm. and I'm I'm very intrigued to hear your answer well, to this question.
2: I'm a, I'm I'm a Minnesotan uh, white boy. I, <laughs> I, so
1: I, so I'm, so, let me ask you a question: Do we read books and podcasts to learn, or already confirm what we already know in our soul?
2: I think it depends on the person in a lot of ways. And it depends on where you're at in the season of your life. I know I've noticed with my own partner, Dan, uh, we do a weekly book review on our podcast. And, um, he, he's said something a, a few times where I'm like, Hmm, that's interesting. It's interesting. Or he said, I, I really enjoyed this book because it really just confirmed a lot of things I already think in like my thesis. And I was like, interesting. Um, he likes to read to confirm and maybe not feel alone mm-hmm. and like that. Um, sense of okay this is the right path. Um I don't read for that reason. I as soon as it starts becoming stuff where I'm like, yep, I already know this, I already believe this. Like this is as soon as I feel like I'm stepping into the echo chamber, I go, yeah, I don't need this. And I'm moving mm-hmm. on to trying to find um something new, interesting, novel. Like, because that's that's what fuels my creativity is like novel information that then I can connect in unique ways. And that doesn't do me any good if all of the material that I'm consuming is the same.
1: Well, what's interesting about you, and I want to give you an utmost compliment, you refuse to let wasted knowledge or energy or time enter your space. Whether that be, you know, a lot of people just read to read, but like if you, like just like you said, you've already done it. Like, so I'm, you know, your standards of who you are and what comes into your world, your energy, your everything is, is so impressive to me. Uh, because it just doesn't it doesn't get in there or it's not allowed in there just per se, you're very calculated with your moves,
2: yeah, I can't remember who said this. Um, maybe Myron Golden, maybe Tony Robbins. I want to give correct attribution to this concept, but they effectively say that you have to stand guard at the door of your mind. And you have to be very, very careful. And you know this too about like the words that we use when we speak to ourselves, and how important those are, and how you have to be really paranoid about what you let into your brain. There's so many studies out there that show, like, um, the more you consume of say the news, the more fearful people tend to be. Right. So the less news you consume, if you're if you're a fearful, anxious person, and you're reading. The news every day, and you're consuming that piece of information. You're not doing a good job of standing guard at the door of your mind. You're letting the fear monsters run rampant, and so the first thing to do is say, "Well, I'm not going to let those things into my 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 world." And for me, I guess it's just a matter of identifying. I don't I don't lean towards fear, so that's not so much of an issue. And anxiety is not so much my thing, Um, but but I do have um, demons that I have to stand ready to not let get into, into my mind. And for, for instance, that's like video games, video games are a monster that I have to stand ready at the gate of my mind. And I was at an event um, with my family a couple of weeks ago and everybody was sitting around on their phones and they're playing um, games, game, phone games. Right. And somebody was like, what do you, what do you, what do you have on your phone? And I'm like, I, I don't have any games on my phone. They're like, what do you mean? You have any, you don't have any games on your phone. And I'm like, I, I haven't had a game on my phone in like a decade because if I do, I will lose myself mm-hmm. right? And so it's just yeah. being aware of like what are you prone to weakness towards? And for me that's as video games. I'm like I can't be near that. For some people it's social media, for others it's you know TV, for some people it's it's uh, just anxiety just in general. So you got to figure out which what's your weakness and try and keep it out.
1: Yeah. 100%. Uh, you know, that you know for me it was it was for sure sports games, video games back in the day in college like we would just i mean hours like all day you know and and uh that's just not going to get me to where i want but what's interesting about stuff like that is like i have to be maybe i'm just super sensitive to it these days cuz i've done a lot of work but i just have to keep myself straight on like shows too like if i'm watching and it's like crazy negative like and i watch for like i binge watch for like a day or two i found myself like in that kind of negative state so i'm very careful about yeah it's like maybe i'm just super empath but i i've noticed it more than i've ever noticed it
2: before yeah um my my partner jamie she's very sensitive to these things so when we're watching certain shows that are like really violent or very anxiety inducing she like really it really affects her whereas for me i can let that stuff go very very easily but recently like and i don't want to i don't want to misrepresent that like i we have this all figured out because we certainly don't like this. I know you, Austin. Like this is a constant ebb and flow, and like it's oh it's, no it, comment.
1: It's a yeah. yeah what, what, what day is it?
2: Yeah, back in the battle. So, like for me, recently I realized, like la- for the last month, for example, I was there was there's just so much stress around raising capital for me because money is something that when I was younger I was very poor. I had no money. I was living in the back of a van, homeless, and so like. When people give me their money, it's it's like there's really sacred responsibility and it weighs on me heavily. And so in the last month, we were raising a lot of capital. And I was just in this like place where I was more um, heavy than usual. And I was finding that I was medicating myself by um, uh, being, more, uh, being on YouTube, for example. In particular, I made the excuse because I'm really into Formula One. I'm really into tennis. And there's all these tennis matches and all this Formula One. I would tell myself, oh, I'm just going to go in there and check and see how this thing went. Next thing I know, I'm just like scrolling and watching the stupidest videos that you could ever imagine, and I was doing this over and over and over. And what I came to, when I finally like locked into it and realized and saw what I was doing, it reminded me of this concept, which is that it's from an evolutionary standpoint, it's very easy to mentally check out. It's very easy to do that for a reason. And it's because your brain's lazy. Your brain doesn't want to work any harder than you want it to it just wants to keep you alive and keep you like uh, alive enough that you can procreate um and that's its only goal and it wants to do it with the minimum number of calories possible but the problem is the things that like bring us fulfillment and enjoyment in life that make us feel like we're moving towards our greatness like those things they require a lot of energy they require our brain to work hard and so like as a biological entity we're predisposed to be lazy but as like this existential living creature that wants to be everything that could be and more we are striving, and so, like we can't afford to be lazy. And so when I caught myself in that cycle of like, "Oh, wow, I'm really medicating myself right now, and I'm allowing my evolution because everything else in my life feels very heavy right now. I need this to feel light. What I realized was it wasn't helping me though. it was it wasn't it wasn't preparing me for the battle that still needed to be waged. All it was doing was making me soft and tired, so that when I went back to do the heavy stuff, I wasn't prepared to do it to the best of my ability. And so just in the last couple of weeks of like being really cognizant of that and getting back into my systems, my routines and like the the processes in my life that allow me to show up as my best self, like things have already like in such a short period of time, like, oh, okay, everything feels good again. I feel I feel right with the universe. The,
1: the stress level right now is like mock. Uh, 90 bajillion right now, because I've never been in this place. And so I was very cognizant that my I always eat good, I do work out, but it was it hasn't been as, as amazing as it could be I you know, skip a thing here and there. And so I was very cognizant to get back on 75 hard, go back to my fasting, you know, 16 and eight, because I just need to make sure that it's not being clouded. By any extra stuff and just knowing that about yourself and and dialing it in, like wrenching it up when you're going to be at the peak stress. You know, once we get over this, uh, you in that kind of movement, though, you you almost create a new standard for yourself, too, where you're not willing to accept it. And it's kind of the quintessential leveling up, but not seeing it. Right. One of the greatest things I've ever heard is sometimes all the growth doesn't happen above the ground. Mm. You know, it's those, it's those, it's those kind of pendulums of like, you know, it really is about understanding human emotion. You know, this guy I interviewed the other day is a really high performance coach. He he coaches so many companies, so many staff. He said, "Look, there's no business problem, bro." He said, "There's nothing. It doesn't exist." He said, "There's one thing. It's the number one thing that affects everything that exists in the planet: improper communication. Mm -hmm. Improper communication with yourself. Improper communication with your staff. Improper communication with your goals, your expectations." And when we're not, when we're, we're checking out or we're not eating well, we're not working out like eat, this is where these simple decisions, I have one rule in my businesses, one rule, Pro- protect the decision, protect the decision. Are you making that based off of you're hungry, your ego, um, you're tired, you're overwhelmed, because we're not going to allow you to make that decision because that one bad decision could be a domino effect.
2: Yeah. I like that, that idea a lot, especially where it comes to recognizing, you know, you're stepping into this world of a lot of new things and it's very stressful. And that's the case with business in general is like, there's really, there's business books, but there is no book. There's no business book that is designed specifically for you and your business, right? Like, so you're taking general, vague, um, abstract universal concepts and trying to apply them in a very specific instance. And that's, That's a lot like, you know, reading a book about how cars work and then sitting down with like your 1996 Ford Fiesta to try and figure out exactly where the alternator is. Like you you vaguely know how a car should be, but you don't know specifically where it is and you don't specifically know what you're going to need to to fix it. Right. And that's how it is in business. And as a result, you're going to spend a lot of time in this unknown realm of like, I don't know what the hell I'm doing. and so. The number one thing that you have to, like you pointed out, protect is the decision because at the end of the day, that's really all you have <laughs> when you're running a business. it's is just a series of, of decisions, some more important than others. And the quality of those decisions are going to directly affect the outcomes, the, the quality of your outcomes. And so I think the lowest hanging fruit here is to always be mindful of your biological imperative in the moment. Like, what am I, what am I feeling in my body? Cause it's, it's not body. It's not body and mind as two distinct things. It's they're, they're literally your body and your mind are connected so deeply and interwoven that what you're feeling in your body is directly affecting your thoughts and vice versa. So like, if you're feeling hungry, that's going to have an effect on your thoughts. If you are feeling pain, that's going to have an effect on your thoughts. If you're feeling, um, confined, you're feeling trapped You know, like the other night I was on a plane flying back from Kansas and I felt trapped and it was, Mm -hmm. it was not a good place for me to try and make decisions or do work. So I like, I just sat there, tried to like be comfortable in that sensation, but I didn't, I didn't push to try and get work done because I knew being feeling, having this sensation of being trapped is not the expansive mindset that I need to have to be able to see the full, full picture of possibility. And that's a lot of times in business what you need, right? Like to be able to zoom out, get your head away from the grindstone and actually see the whole picture. So
1: dude, the biggest win of my entire life when we had a bad thing happen on a deal was I looked at my partner and I said, you know what? Neither of us are in a place to make the decision right now. Let's go have dinner. Let's go sleep on it. I'll talk to you in the morning. Like to not escalate it to a level 10 and just, And and guess what? The deal didn't work out. Oh, well, but at least we didn't, you know, snap back or or get upset or like let it affect the other deal we had going on. We closed that one. Right. And so, man, that to me has been my biggest uh, leveling up for me and and just who I am as a person of just not having to make that snap decision, uh, I think is so powerful.
2: Never do, this is a good um, strategy in a relationship too, right? Like when you're having a fight and it's like, Hey, I'm just not in a position right now. We're not, we've gone as far as we can in this conversation. We need to like pencil, like put a pen in it. We'll come back to it. Um, never do anything in the moment. Never make a decision um, that is going to make things worse because you didn't have enough time to process and to like work through it, right? If If giving yourself that additional time was going to make things worse, than the worst case scenario that if you had just stayed there and like made the decision, then sure, okay, make the decision because worst case scenario you can't delay, right? But that's like if the plane is literally going down, you can't sleep on it, right? <laughs> we got to figure enough. it out. But as Fair long enough. as the plane isn't going to go down in the meantime, and there's the possibility that you will make the problem worse by acting now, then wait. <laughs> yeah. And you know me, like. I I hate committing to things. I hate making a yeah.
1: decision
2: physically necessary. It drives people around me crazy because they're like they can't get me to like commit to anything, and I'm like I just want to keep my options open. It doesn't need yeah. to be. right now. I'm gonna wait. <laughs> I love it.
1: So if people want to read the book, uh, they want to find you. They they want to they want to reach out. They want to follow you. How would they do that?
2: If you guys are curious, so Google me, AnthonyVicino.com. Come check out what uh what we do. I talk a lot about building businesses, investing in real estate, and how to maximize your return on life. Like that's my stick. That's the thing I'm passionate about, is not just building businesses, investing in real estate. Those are fun, those are vehicles for expressing the greatness within. But um, I think everybody has greatness and tapping into it, I think is your 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 job, your your moral imperative, your responsibility in this life that you have is to, to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And so come find me. I'm over on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, I'm on all the places, but um, if you guys want to learn more about investing in real estate, then we did, we, we put out a book last year uh, called Passive Investing Made Simple. Just reach out to me and I'll send you a free copy of it.
1: I love it. One of my favorite people to talk to. So good to have you on guys. If you like this episode, send it to your friends. We'll see you next time.